2 Samuel chapter 6, if you're taking notes, that's kind of you, and the title for this message is Bring God Closer, Bring God Closer, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Tomorrow is New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve. Now, I don't know how long ago it was, it was probably eight, eight or nine years ago on New Year's Eve. It's probably the first New Year's Eve after I got married that I wanted to impress my wife. She was from California, and so I thought, I'm going to take her to the New Year's Eve ball drop kind of thing going on in Times Square, and it'll be great. And so we get there at 2 p.m. You have to get there at 2 p.m. if you want to be within visual distance of that little shiny ball thing that's going to drop from the sky. 2 p.m., they put you in these little things, and you have to not go to the bathroom from 2 p.m., until like 1 a.m. That's like the greatest feat of the day. So you're, you're watching on TV and you think it's all about that ball dropping? No, it's all about not peeing your pants. That's what New Year's Eve is like if you're there. It's not about the music or anything else. You, you leave, you lose your spot, and it's, in, it's impossible. So we, we were there. It was, it was great. You're just kind of sandwiched in with all these people, and your wife's looking at you like it was a great idea. And then it all happens, and then all of a sudden, CNN... The news station is right there, right next to us, going one person at a time, coming towards us. I'm like, yes, yes. And so they get, they get to us and they say, what's your news resolution? And I go, to read the Bible every single day. And the, lady, the lady's like, what's your New Year's resolution? And moves on. It's on YouTube somewhere because some youth group students were like, Mom, Pastor Andy's on TV. And they're like, no, he wasn't. And then we found it on YouTube to prove it to the parents that I was there. And uh, it was so funny to watch that lady's face, how mortified she was. She's like, we are, we are a liberal news organization. We are not allowed to talk about the Bible. This is Times Square. It was one of the best moments of my life that I could ruin her day. <laughs> I think I ruined her whole year. It was the first day. It was the first couple minutes of the new year, and it was already ruined for her, the poor thing. So listen, I love this time of year because I get excited about setting spiritual goals. I don't set physical goals. I, I try. I mean, I say I want to exercise, but I've been saying that for years. It doesn't happen. I tried to eat healthier, and I, f- I found a better way to eat healthy is not to try and eat healthy all year long. Just eat healthy in January, and your body kind of coasts the rest of the year. So for five years, I only ate salad in January, and I refused it for the other 11 months out of the year, which felt great. Um, but, so there's all kinds of ways you can, you know, set goals for the next year. I honestly love setting spiritual goals every January because there's so much potential this time of year. I know tomorrow's Saturday, and that means sleeping a bit more. I get that. Um, but if you could take some time tomorrow and think about, Lord, what potential is there for my life with your life for next year? And I think the greatest thing that we could do in 2017 is to bring God closer We see King David doing that in 2 Samuel 6. The context for this passage is that David had finally become king over both kingdoms. He was was, king over part of the kingdom, and then he finally became king over all of, of Israel. He moves to his new home in Jerusalem, and then the Philistines immediately try and kill him, but God supports him and helps him to defeat his enemies. And I think in a small way, that's, that's going to be a picture of our 2017, right? We, we are chosen by God. King David was chosen to be king over the nation. You have been chosen to do something this year. You've been, you've been chosen. God wants his people all over the place serving him. <coughs> now, you've been chosen by him, and it's also a new season. It's a time where things can be different. Right? You can come back, and, and starting in January, you can have a new goal, a new focus in your school, in your family, with your relationship with the Lord. But what's going to happen? The enemy is going to try and attack. It's not necessarily going to be the Philistines, but the enemy is going to try and attack. It'll probably be a spiritual attack, some mind games that the enemy is going to you know, uh, throw at you, to mess with you. He's going to throw some fiery darts at you, is how the Bible describes these thoughts that come from the enemy that want to draw you away from the Lord. But... God is going to support you just like he did with King David. And so this world is a mess. Um, This this country is divided and and separated. And and I think that people need Christians that are willing to be leaders, right? Willing to be leaders. And you guys have that opportunity. I would give anything 
if I could go back to high school with the mindset that I have now to be influential for Christ in high school rather than just focusing on myself and, you know, obsessing over basketball, the things I thought were important, right? If I could go back and use my influence for Christ, that would be the greatest thing that I think I could have ever done. And so we're going to see David handling this new season in his life, this new situation. He's going to handle the challenges in a way that I think it's going to show us how we can be prepared for 2017. Look at verse 1 in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you're taking notes, I want you to notice the priority. Notice the priority for God a leader should have. Verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, um, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And so David here, the first thing that he does when he comes to his new kingdom and he's got his new responsibilities, the very first thing that he chooses to do is to bring God closer. He makes it a priority for him to seek after God. It shows you his heart. It shows you what's important to him. All right, I'm in control of this kingdom now. What do I need? I need God not far away. I need God closer to me. And I think that we are foolish to think that we can go through this life on our own. We can't. We can't. It's just been tried a thousand times. We can't do it on our own. You know, we all try and put on a good show and, and act like we're tough, you know, without the Lord and that things are fine, but we're a mess. You know, I went to New York University and my freshman year, so in, in I think it was 2000, um, when I went to, to college, it's like, wow, I'm in Manhattan, Right, I'm in Manhattan, everyone's here, everyone's having a good time, I'm with, I'm with my whole basketball team, I was playing on the team there, and we're all going to have a great time. By the end of my freshman year, New York University set a record, and it was for the most suicides on any college campus in the country. Nine students killed themselves my freshman year of college. The news media were all over the place. What was going on? People cannot live apart from God. You go to NYU, and you're in the middle of the city, and you're trying to spend money on everything that's around you, trying to get good grades at school, and you're trying to do all these things and, and use your freedom for yourself instead of for the Lord, and people couldn't handle it, and they were jumping off buildings, and it was a disaster what was happening. We cannot live apart from God. It's, it just does not work. And so we have to be like David and seek after the Lord. We need to bring him closer if we're going to get through this life. If we're even just going to survive in this life, let alone thrive in this life, we need God with us. Now, David had great intentions. His intentions are great. He's playing music. He's all excited about this, right? He's like, just picture him talking to everyone about this decision. Hey, first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to bring the ark of God, which is where God's presence, you know, dwelt in a special way in the Old Testament. I'm going to bring it close to where I'm ruling. Everyone's like, oh, that is so holy. That is so godly. You're awesome, Right? He had good intentions. I doubt anybody gave him a hard time over this. And he's playing worship music while it's happening. Like, it's not, it's, it's kind of hard to sin during worship. You know, like, I mean, I've done it before. We've all sinned during worship. You're, you're worshiping the Lord and you're like, she is cute. I'm going to marry her. And I did. Right? Right? But, but I shouldn't have been thinking about her. During, you know, but we all, we, it's, you can sin during worship, but you rarely sin during worship. Sometimes during worship, I just feel like, ah, this is what it's going to be like in heaven. I'm still me, but I'm not sinning right now. This is what it's going to be like in heaven, right? David had a sincere heart. He is worshiping the Lord while this is all going on. And I want to challenge you guys, whether it's tonight as you're hanging out with people afterwards or whether you put a reminder in your phone to do this tomorrow, think about the potential that your life could have, you plus God, what could that mean in 2017? What one change by God's grace and only by his strength can you make to bring God closer so that 2017 can be different? All right? What's, what's one thing that you think he wants you to do? 
and, and pray about that and seek advice and set that goal to prioritize God's presence just like King David did. Now in verse 6, we see, if you're taking notes, the need for proper theology that a leader requires. The need for proper theology, you know, thoughts about God that a leader requires. Look at verse 6. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of that place Perez Uzzah to this day. So David had great intentions, bring God closer, but he had bad theology. He had had bad thoughts about God as far as the proper way to bring God closer. God isn't our homeboy, right? God isn't this like chill dude that we can just, you know, hang out with whenever we need some help and like, hey, Jesus, get over here, man, I need your help. You know, he's not like that. He is holy. He is different than us. He is set apart, right? Um, even in Indiana Jones movies, you can't be doing stuff like that, right? The Ark of the Covenant, you can't touch it. Here in this passage, Uzzah does what he thinks is a good thing too. They're bringing the Ark of God on this Ark and all of a sudden the oxen trip on something. The Ark of God starts to tilt and somebody reaches out and touches it and he dies instantly for doing what? For trying to help God, trying to help the Ark of God. And, and there's so many times we think like, oh, help God out or this is what God wants and we have a bad thought about God because it's not a biblical thought about God. It's not up to us to decide who God is. You have friends, or maybe you yourself, you're like, well, this is what I think God is like. If I were God, I would do this. If I were God, then this thing that you Christians call sin, it wouldn't really be a sin. And if I were God, and I kind of like blending these different religions together, it has nothing to do with us. Who God is has nothing to do with us, right? God has existed for all eternity and created our environment and created us, and he tells us who he is. Thank God he reveals himself to us, but we cannot decide who he is. And David had good intentions, but he lacked a biblical theology. If he had known the scriptures, he would have known that he was going about this in the wrong way. He wasn't supposed to be putting the ark of God on a cart, and nobody was allowed to touch it. In fact, you don't, you don't have to write this down. In Numbers chapter 4, God gives the command that how do you move the ark of God? Well, the priests are to go in and cover it first with particular types of cloth and, and skins and things. They would cover it up so nobody could see it. And then after they covered it up, then they would put poles through it and carry, the, carry it on poles so that nobody would actually touch the ark like Uzzah did and died. And they would carry it and they would walk while they were carrying it, and only the priests were allowed to do this. Not, not some guy putting it on a cart, new technology the Philistines, you know, had, and, well, this is the fastest way to do it. If I were God, I would want to do this fast and, and do it this way. And in Numbers 4, it says, you are not to touch anything holy lest you die. I think what happened here is that the ark had been in Uzzah's house in his neighborhood so long that he got familiar with it. And that applies to us, I think, right away, is that some of you may have grown up in the church or just growing up in America, and we, we think this is like a Christian nation, and we think, oh, I know God. Oh, I, I, I know God. I, my, my parents told me about him. I, if, if our thoughts about God are not from the scriptures, then we do not know God. We're making God up. God has revealed himself to us through the prophets, through the written word, because he loves us, because he's reaching out to us. And we have the privilege of getting to know him so that we can have a relationship with him. But God is holy, and it showed a lack of reverence to move the ark in this way and then to eventually touch the ark. It, it made it as if God wasn't holy, as if, as if you could get away with that. And, and think about how, I mean, David was angry. He said, come on, God. He was just trying to help, right? He was just trying to help. And he probably even had a temptation in his heart to judge God. To doubt God, why would, you, why would you do this? If I were God, I wouldn't kill someone trying to help God out. And, and it's all a lack of understanding of who God is. Even in church sometimes, you can have a lack of understanding of who God is because of a different emphasis that a pastor or preacher might put on, you know, how they talk about God. You have to read all of the scriptures to know who God is. God, God is a God, like we see here, He is a God of wrath. God is a God 
of, of holiness, right? God is a God who judges, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't like talking about those things. I think that's a little rough. If I were God, I would just accept everybody, and there wouldn't be a judgment. Really? God's wrath is part of his perfection and part of his love and part of his goodness. It's necessary. Without hell to judge, without God to judge wickedness, what, what makes sense in the world? How is it okay? So, so Hitler's allowed to kill six million Jews, but if you were God, you wouldn't send anybody to hell. You wouldn't have any wrath if you were God. Life only makes sense if Hitler is suffering eternally in hell because of his sins. Life only makes sense because of God's wrath. We need to know who God is. He's a God of love. He's a good God, but he is a God who judges, and we see that here in this passage. So David's perspective is off. He's not thinking with good theology. He's just thinking with his heart. And the Bible says our heart is deceitful and wicked, and we can be very, very confused with our hearts. Let me prove it to you. I'll prove it to you right now that our hearts are wicked and confusing. You will all hear this a dozen times in life, right? A dozen times in your life. Between now and when you're out of college, you're going to hear some Christians say, God told me I should marry her. God told me we're going to get married. God told me I'm going to marry him, right? What are they doing? Well, my heart really likes him. My heart really likes her. Oh, and they're a Christian, and so uh, God told me this. What are they? They're taking God's name in vain. And then all of a sudden, they break up, but there's no apology for taking the Lord's name in vain. There's no apology. You said God told you that. Oh, well, you know. We, our hearts tell us whatever we want them to tell you, right? Your hearts tell you all kinds of stuff. My heart told me at one point that I should, you know, before I met my wife, that I should marry someone else. I'm like, oh, this person's a Christian. This is a great. Thank God that didn't happen. And I married my wife, who was amazing, right? Our hearts tell us things we think like, oh, surely this is the Lord. This person's a Christian. They're nice. They're cute, most of all, you know, and they don't think I'm ugly, and they're not weirded out by these huge earlobes. You know, it's like, this has got to be God. No, God knows what he desires to do. Our hearts can be all over the place. We need to know what God says about himself. And so, as you plan 2017, can I ask you to plan it biblically? Don't think about, like, oh, in 2017, I'm going to break the basketball team's scoring record. It's idolatry. Right? If you don't have a plan for using that for the Lord, it's idolatry. Think biblically. Think, unlike David here, with proper theology. Understand who God is and make your goals based on that. Now, starting in verse 9 here, I don't know, I don't, I know I didn't know this word when I was in high school, so I think I'm about to teach you a new word, but you could all be smarter than me. You know, most of you look smarter than me. Like, everyone but Kenny looks really smart here. You know, so it's like, I think, I think for most of you, I don't know. So, if you're taking notes, in verse 9, I want you to notice the despondency. Who knows despondency? I'm like smarter than everyone but Jess. Notice the despondency a leader goes through. I'm going to explain what despondency means in a second, but here's, here's what we're looking at. Verses 9 through 12. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Despondency means a state of low spirits caused by a a loss of hope or a loss of courage. So you're basically really bummed out and discouraged and depressed because you, you've lost hope and you've lost courage. You're like, oh, how, how could this even work out? You're despondent, right? And, and I want you to notice the despondency a leader can go through. King David was basically depressed. King David lost hope and courage and was like, how, how can I do what I think I'm supposed to do? I think I'm supposed to bring God closer to me and I can't or else everyone's going to die. I don't understand how this is going to work. He was despondent. He was discouraged. And that happens to us as well. And in 2017, it's going to happen to you too, right? Because we lose perspective. And for a moment, we lose hope. We lose courage because we've lost sight of the Lord, which is why we've got to bring him closer. 
you will feel this way too. You'll say, I know I'm supposed to bring God closer. I know this is a good goal. I, I know, like, I'm, I'm trying. I said, I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. And I try and do it. But then all of a sudden, the enemy starts telling me, but you're a sinner. You're wicked. You, you still have that addiction. How can you bring God close? You're filthy. You still sin in wicked ways. How could you bring God close? And we lose hope and think, I can't bring God close to me. How can I bring God close to me when I look at pornography? How can I bring God close to me when I'm slipping in this area of, of lust or, or theft or lying or you know, identity? How can I bring God close to me when God is holy and perfect and I'm, I'm wicked and we can give up and say, like David did, it's impossible. I can't do it. I know I'm supposed to, but I can't do it. And here's the thing. We're all wired. We're all wired to seek after God. And yet we know it feels impossible for us to do that. Like I, me as a sinner, I'm supposed to pursue God, and yet I'm a mess. It doesn't seem possible. Somebody touched an ark, and they died, and I think I'm going to pray with all this sin in my life? How is it even possible? David almost gave up on his best idea, yet he knew that he needed God's help, but he just knew that God was too holy to be near a sinner like him, and he couldn't figure it out, and he lost hope for three months. He was discouraged for three months. But then what happened? He found the hope by noticing somebody else who had God close to them. It's working for them. Wait, that's what I want. I want God's, I want the ark in my house. And it's in Obed-Edom's house and he's thriving now. Wait a second, maybe it's possible. Maybe it's possible. And as you seek the Lord in 2017, you're going to be tempted to give up hope and say, I can't do it. It's impossible. But then you need to look around and say, well, is anybody doing it? Is it, is it possible? And, and, and look to your youth leaders. Look to your family. Look to your friends. Look to somebody younger than you. And say, wait, it looks like, looks like they're seeking the Lord. Maybe it is possible because if we push through this despair, if we push through this spiritual attack and we honestly try and bring God closer to us and pursue him, there is blessing in store. And the house of Obed-Edom was blessed because of the ark of God, it said. And so there is discouragement ahead for us, but we can push through knowing that the reward of blessing, of being near to God is going to be better than anything. So don't miss this opportunity because you mess up. You're like, all right, Bible Project 2017, January 1st. And your mom's like, it's already January 3rd. You're like, well, I already failed. I'm such a fail. I thought it was the first. No. No, it's the third already, you fool. You know, Mom even thinks I'm a fool. She's right. I'm despondent. She goes, how did you learn that word? I don't know. Everyone in the youth group, but Kenny knew it. You know, it's, it's I don't know. You know, so, it, no, you can push past it. You can push past it and recognize that there is an amazing opportunity. There is potential today and tomorrow. There's potential. Think about what does God want to do in your life in 2017. But look what David does as he gets through this. In verse 12, if you're taking notes, you see the conformity to, a, to the Bible that a leader submits to. The conformity. He conforms his life to the Bible. He's obedient to it. So in verse 12, it says, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when the, those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. Now, the first time David just said, the best thing must be the fastest thing. Get God as close to me as possible, as quick as possible. That's got to be the best thing. And God's like, no, 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 I'm way too holy and awesome for that. It's going to be a lot slower. Cover, cover it up, put the poles in and walk, not with wheels, with walking. That's, that's how you're going to move me. And so... We, we sometimes want the quickest route to God. We're like, all right, what can I do to be an awesome Christian finally? What can I do to finally be walking in the Spirit, to really be pursuing after God? And it's not going to be fast. Now, God, is, God knows when to uh, give you emotions to match where, where you're at in life. And so he knows if you need, when you're reading the Bible on January 1st for the first time in a while, if you need 
some emotions to go with that, and you read, and you're like, this was amazing, you know? And then, then, then God knows when to give you those emotions, and he knows when to remove those emotions, and you should just be reading the Bible because it's wise and it's smart and because you want to pursue a relationship with God. And, it, and so he knows those things. But sometimes seeking the Lord is, look, it's slow. Every six paces, they would stop and sacrifice an animal. Every six paces. Okay, let's kill an animal, skin it, sacrifice it on the side of the road, and then keep going. That is so slow. At, at least, hopefully, eventually, when the priest caught on to the pattern, they were going like, you know, at like six paces. Like six of my paces can get you halfway to Jerusalem. But, you know, it's slow. You're like, why, why wouldn't the wheel thing work? Why wouldn't it work? God wants to be sought after in, in a way. Sometimes that takes time. It's slow. There's like books out there that you can read and apps and things that it's like one-minute devotions, one-minute daily devotions. You're like, sweet, I only have to spend 60 seconds with God every day, and I'll go to heaven. That's awesome. That's my kind of plan. You're like, oh, no. Listen, what if God, what if God tomorrow said, I am going to speak the most epic, exciting, helpful thing that you need to know, but it's going to take some time? You're like, like five minutes time? And he's like, no, it's going to take hours. You're like, hours? I'll die. But my friends are, and he's like, I'm God. What if he wants to speak to you? And you're like, and you, by the end of it, you'll actually feel like God spoke to me about my situation. But it might take hours. Maybe part of 2017 is you, you know, yeah, you read your Bible every day, but maybe on Saturdays, you do something crazy and you're like, for an hour, I'm going to seek the Lord on Saturdays. For an hour, I'm going to read, I'm going to journal, write down what, I, what I'm understanding in the Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to talk to God, I'm going to sing for an hour, because sometimes seeking the Lord is slow. I mean, if you were God, do you think that everyone that got the 60-second devotional book and read it, every chapter, he'd be like, boom, Jesus juice, <laughs> Jesus emotions everywhere. They bought a 60-second book. No, I mean, but, but what about the person who's begging you? Please speak to me. Please be near me. And they're making the time that they are seeking you a priority in your life. Right? The Bible promises us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. That's a promise. Sometimes seeking the Lord is slow, six paces at a time. It's always sacrificial. They sacrifice oxen and fatted sheep. King David at a different point went on to say, I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. Right? Serving the Lord isn't a piece of cake. Following Jesus isn't a piece of cake. The Bible describes it in the New Testament as counting the cost. Counting the cost. Like, you need to do the math and say, all right, I'm going to follow the Lord. Is it worth it? I had to do that at one point. When I was in college, 45 minutes after I got to New York University, being the Christian in high school, somebody hands me on the basketball team a fake ID, and they're like, we're going out. We're in Manhattan. We're going to a bar. And that night, I had my first sip of alcohol and began a year, year and a half of backsliding away from the Lord, trying to pursue happiness in partying rather than in, in God's presence. It was a miserable, miserable year. A miserable year, right? And, and it wasn't easy. And when the Lord was, he was so faithful to keep on showing me life's better than this. I've got a plan for you. And finally, when I just was overcome with guilt, and I knew that there was a better way in life. Finally, when the Lord and I talked about it, I, I, felt, a, I felt like a strong impression. I don't want to say it was the Lord's voice, but I felt a strong kind of impression. I was like, I think this is what God's trying to communicate to me. Am I worth it? Andy, am I worth it? Is it worth it to pursue me? And I was like, well, what is pursuing you going to look like? All right, well, for the past year and a half, my only friends are party animals, so I have zero Christian friends. So pursuing the Lord now is going to mean not having any friends. It's going to mean every three or four nights a week, my friends are going out partying. I, I don't go out. And I, I started realizing pursuing the Lord was going to be really lonely. And I felt like the Lord was telling me, you're going to be alone for four months. Am I worth it? Am I worth it? And I was like, oh, four months. And it ended up being about four months when I was pursuing the Lord. And, and you know, at first, I'd try and go out to the bars but not drink. And that was just stupid. And then I finally just, I had no one. I started going to church again and Christian groups on campus. But I had no friends. My friends would come home and they would bang on my bedroom door 
at two or three in the morning, be like, come out and drink with us. There's girls out here. Come out and hang out with us. And I like blockaded the door. I'm like, no, I love Jesus, you know? And it was just like, I had no friends and, my, and my, my roommates were terrorizing me. And four months of not having any friends and I was going to these Christian groups on, on campus like Campus Crusade for Christ and Navigators. And I was like desperate for friends. It was like lame. I was like, I'd, I'd go into the groups and I'd be, like, they'd be like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great. Why? Do you want to hang out? Like, do you want to get coffee? Do you, do you want to talk? And like, you know, we could just always be friends forever. And they're like, whoa. And I'm like, I just really need friends right now. I had to count the costs and recognize that following God was going to be sacrificial. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. Eventually, I started having some loyal, good Christian friends, and eventually, I began to be influential in the lives of my my roommates that were lost in darkness and began to show them the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And, and, And when I finally made that commitment, even though there was a period of testing and these months of loneliness... At the other end of it, I knew that I would find not temporary passing pleasures of sin like I was finding, but I would find lasting joy, and that's what I found, and it's been 15, 14, 15 years since then, and I've only found, not, I've, I've found pain, I've, I've had struggles and pain in life, but God has been with me now in those times, but I have found joy. And sometimes seeking the Lord is simple. David just wore a linen ephod. It's like, just a plain white cotton t-shirt. You're like, that's what you're wearing to prom? Cotton t-shirt, you know? Sometimes it's just simple. We want to do all these crazy things, and sometimes God just wants us to open the Bible, turn off the phone, turn off the distractions, and just talk to him. We don't have to overcomplicate it. It's always something to celebrate. They were shouting here at the end of it. And so bringing God near in 2017 is probably going to be a slow sacrificial and probably simple process, but you've got to count the cost in advance and say, is God worth it? Not just heaven and hell, like heaven, hell. Yeah, that's, don't just think like that or else the lie the enemy gives you is, okay, here's the game plan. We're going to trick God. You're going to live your life for your flesh carnally and just party like crazy until you're 80 years old and then you're going to become a Christian and die and go to heaven. It's the best of both worlds. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It is. It's a lie from the enemy. You will be miserable for those 80 years and might not have the chance to repent and go to heaven. We are to choose God now. And you don't get heaven eventually. Heaven is knowing God. You begin to get to know God now through his Holy Spirit as you read the scriptures. And so God will always be found on the slow sacrificial, simple paths of seeking him through Bible reading, prayer, worshiping him. These are old paths. There's nothing fancy about it, but he is always found there. Might not be as swiftly as we like, but it's always worth it. In verse 16, if you're taking notes, notice the joyful mentality a leader shows others. The joyful mentality. Verse 16, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, which was also David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. You're like, a cake of raisins? It was probably awesome. It's like if I were to say Brussels sprouts are good, you're like, oh, my wife, my wife makes amazing Brussels sprouts, right? So it's like, read cake of raisins and just think, yes, Entenmann's cake of raisins. It's going to be amazing. Look at this joyful mentality that David shows. David made worshiping the Lord a joy not a burden. It wasn't like, oh, I'm a Christian. I can't do anything fun now because I'm a Christian now. No, it was fun, right? David had a place for God in his city, in his life. He showed personal excitement for the Lord. It says that he was leaping and whirling. Now, in a minute, I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to whirl, to leap and whirl for the Lord. So I want you to think about what that might look like, and we're all going to, no, we're not going to do that. Um, But listen, he had personal excitement for the Lord. It was like a big big deal to him. 
You know, like, it's, like, it's like when you say to someone, like, how's your week going? They're like, it's going really good. God is awesome. And you're like, whoa, that's different. A personal excitement for the Lord. But then David helped other people rejoice. He blessed and distributed to them gifts. He's like, hey, come to this worship service where we're going to celebrate God being near. And then I'm going to give you gifts so that you go home happy and be like, this is sweet. You know, this, this, is, this is good stuff. David helped other people to rejoice. If somebody didn't leave that worship service happy, it was their problem, right? I mean, there was, there was music. There seemed like there was dancing, right? And then David is giving gifts out. This was a joyous occasion, and that is an opportunity that we get to have. Christianity can be the most exciting and fun and satisfying thing that you will ever do because you will be made born again. If, if God created all humans in his image to worship him, and we're, we're all not doing that, but a few of us begin to, the few of us that are doing that are finally doing what we were created for. You think like, oh, I was created to be a sports you know, person. I was created to be a writer. I was created for this or that. No, you were created to give God glory. You will not find happiness and lasting joy until you figure out how your life can bring God glory in a, in a unique way. And so, you will find joy personally as you seek the Lord. And would you please help your friends in this youth group, in your school, in your family, find joy in seeking the Lord? Can we, can we please do that together? How come people aren't calling each other up and being like, hey, there's a cool new hipster coffee place that opened down the street. Why don't we grab our Bibles? Let's all read, um, you know, Matthew, you know, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Let's all read that for a half hour before we go. Let's go there. I'll buy coffee for everyone. And the four of us, we're going to do a little Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount. We're just going to talk about what stood out to us. Like, that'd be fun. You'd be like, that'd be really cool. Yeah, we'll do it. Right? Do things that are fun, real Christian fellowship. Enjoy the Lord together, and you guys do it. It's great that the youth group provides events and things for you guys to do, but, but you guys do it. You guys figure out, how can I help other people on their journey towards the Lord? Create an environment where, where literally Jesus is the life of the party. He's why we're here. He, he's why we celebrate. It doesn't have to involve compromise, sin, or anything else. It's not like, all right, we're starting, uh, I don't know if this ministry exists or not, but every church tries to do this, and it's fine. It's great. Okay, now I can't even talk about it because it's going to sound negative. All right, here's what it is. Every church is like, I know what will be the answer to all of our problems. We need an airsoft ministry. If we just had an airsoft ministry, then everyone would think is the church is cool. But then what happens? Like, you get together, you play airsoft, and everyone's like, uh, let's close in prayer that that guy's eye would be okay. <laughs> you know, and you're like, that's not real Christian fellowship isn't just tagging on a little prayer or something at the end of not hanging out. It's how can we be together and really enjoy the Lord? It's possible to do through airsoft it's just not tagging on a, a one-minute prayer at the end of hours of hanging out, all right? Look at verse 20. I want you to notice, if you're taking notes, the painful hostility, the painful hostility a leader puts up with. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You know, and you're like, goodness, that's his wife. That's how his wife talks to him. So this is not, ladies, this is not like a little note-taking thing. You're like, good, I'll talk to my husband like this. It's in the Bible. You know, no, this is, this is naughtiness. This is bad, right? It's not good. David is mocked. For his sincerity, his passion, and even his humility in serving the Lord. That's like your wife coming out, and it's, you know, 5 a.m., and she comes out, and she's like, what are you doing on the floor? And you're like, I was, I was praying. I was praying for our family and seeking the Lord. And she's like, well, that's stupid. Get off the floor. That's, that's how bad it is. Like, it's your wife me like messing with you as you're trying to seek with the Lord, or the opposite, or your husband doing that, or your family, or friends doing that. There's a painful hostility there. The attack came from within. It was his family. He's like, you're my wife. I gave you a ring. You know, this is ridiculous. What, why, why are you giving me such a hard time? It was a vulnerable thing for David to do what he did. He took off his royal robes and wore just a simple outfit, put aside his kingliness, right, and just was like a servant, like a slave out there just jumping around, worshiping the Lord, and she makes fun of how he seeks the Lord. That's like somebody in this room 
laughing and teasing with their friends because they see somebody raising their hands during worship or they see somebody that looks passionate as they're singing to the Lord and you and your buddy, you'd laugh about it. This, this, that's messed up is what's happening here. Just think about God looking down at that situation. Now, it's true. Believers are going to be mocked by even their Christian friends, by even their family. How do we respond? Well, first of all, recognize it's coming. Recognize if you passionately seek the Lord and start doing things that are different than your family, you make a suggestion like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this, or maybe as a family we can start doing this, or you tell your friends like, hey, maybe instead of going to the movies, we can take some time and we can, we can fast and pray, you know? And when you start to do things that you feel like are what Lord is, the Lord is leading you to do, but it's different, it's not just like the easy stuff, you know, you're, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be spiritual attacks that may come in the form of, of most likely words. James chapter 3 tells us that our tongue can be set on fire by hell itself. Proverbs tells us that within, within our mouth we have words of life or of death. So our tongue can be set on fire by hell. That means that there are times that Christians, as James is addressed to believers, there are times that Christians speak in negative ways like McCall here, and they make fun of somebody else, they give somebody else a hard time, and the only person excited about it is Satan. He's like, that's my boy. And you're like, did I just pound Satan? Wait, the only one excited about what I just said was Satan? That's scary. That's a terrifying verse in the Bible that even a believer, your words, even though you believe in Jesus and you're born again, your words can be used to further the enemy of your soul's mission in life. There's hostility that can come. What do we do about this? How do we respond? Well, if you're taking notes, look at, notice the confident humility a leader responds with. The confident humility. Verse 21. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord. And then he gets a little sarcastic. He has a little moment here. Who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the, the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And then what happened to her? Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. David here, he responds strongly. And he says, you know what I was doing? I was serving the Lord. I wasn't thinking about you, sweetie. I'm sorry. I was thinking about how excited I was that God was finally with me. And yeah, I danced around. And you know what? Now that I think about it, I would have danced even crazier than that if it meant that I was giving glory to God, I would have been even more undignified than this because I don't mind being humble in my own sight. This is the king of Israel saying that. We struggle with humility. We're like, I can't be humble. I got to be cool. Got to be cool. Got to make sure my, my Instagram, my whatever thingy that's cool is, um, is making sure that I am awesome, right? That I look good. I was over at a friend's house on Thursday and we were with, we were with, this, with this family and uh, the wife, mom, person that was there that was cooking all the food, she burned all the bread. So we're like, we're about to eat all this like amazing garlic bread. I mean, it was like soaking wet with like butter and garlic. I was like, I just want to rub it all over myself like it's deodorant, right? So she puts it in the oven. We're all talking. She goes, the bread! She opens it all up and it's all black. And we're trying to like carve the edges around. It's just like disintegrating. And then I said something. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to Instagram this moment and say, I'm at, I'm at dinner with, uh, you know, whatever family. And she's like, why would you do that? I'm like, because it's real life. It's real life. Real life is I'm trying to impress somebody, and I burned all the bread. That's real. It's humble to live real life with people. What's wrong is to only say, like, oh, wow, your hair looks perfect in every single Instagram photo. Real life is you're perfect. Wow, there's no humility in being perfect. There's humility in crying in front of people. Right? There's humility in saying, I'm sorry. And there's humility in seeking the Lord and worshiping the Lord. David says, I will be humble in my own sight. And as we humble ourselves, the Lord exalts us, the scripture says. We're to clothe ourselves in humility. David didn't forget his proper place that, that God was king over Israel. And he was king under that. There's a ruler above us, right? He knew. He knew that truth. And so... He responded in humility. How do you respond when even Christians are attacking? I can't believe at a retreat, 
somebody would slander me. At, at Bushkill, where are you guys going? <laughs> Is that it? Bushkill, right? They would, they would do this, right? You know, it's like, even at a retreat, yeah, even at a retreat, it's not going to be perfect. People's words are going to be used like James chapter 3 from the enemy. But you know what? Respond in humility. Don't have the last word. Don't rat on them. All right? Just respond in humility and say, wow, it's okay. You must be having a bad day. That's why you're being terrible towards me. <laughs> right? You must be having a rough day. Can I, can I pray for you? David says, it was before the Lord who chose me. Don't ever be embarrassed of worshiping or seeking the Lord or bringing him closer. Don't be embarrassed of that. It is angels' work to worship the Lord. Think about that. The job of the angels, they really exist. It's not just like a movie thing. Angels really exist, and their job is to worship and serve the Lord. And we as punk kids, we as punk kids think like, well, I'm not going to serve the Lord. I'm cool. Oh, so angels aren't cool, but I'm cool. Right? It is angels' work. We need to think like David. It was before the Lord that I did that. I remember the first time at Calvary Chapel Old Bridge when I was a junior or senior in high school that I raised my hands in the church service in there. I came from a church where I didn't see that happen very often. And I remember being in this church and I'm seeing people raise their hands like, why are they doing that? You know, and like, huh. And then all of a sudden, like, there's a song, there's like a song that just like set you up for it. It's like, and with our hands lifted high. And you're like, oh no, it's a trap. It's a trap. They're trying to figure out if I really love Jesus. I'm not going to let them know that, you know? And I remember being in there, and it was like my two best friends are there, Brian and Mark. They're like, they're right there, and we're at church. They're visiting, and I've been there for a while, and I'm like, and with our hands, oh, no. You know, and I'm like, oh, they're not doing it. And then all of a sudden, the, the Lord's like, I'm awesome. <laughs> like, I know, but so are my friends, Lord. You know, and he's like, but I'm really cool. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, it's like the last time he's going through it, I'm like, I love him. And then the song's over, and I'm like, I look at my friends, and they're like, and afterwards, I'm like, hey, like, I know, I, I know what happened. You know, I know what happened in there. I'm sorry. And they're like, no, it was cool. I, I wanted to do it too, but... I didn't, you know. I'm like, well, I really felt like a tool. But listen, it is angels' work to worship the Lord. Angels do this. It is not below you. God will deal with hostility. He'll deal with slander. He'll deal with murmuring and whispering. I know exactly what it feels like to, you know, to, I, there's times where I've gone to preach a message. Like, I'm, I'm the speaker coming up after worship. And then during worship, I'm like, I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to see if everyone else is doing it first, you know? And then I'm like, what if they are? What if they aren't? Like, I should worship before the Lord. I should seek the Lord, not peer pressure. Christianity isn't peer pressure. Christianity is you have now gone from a created being to a child of God. You have now been adopted into God's family, and you relate to God as a father-child relationship. We've got to seek the Lord. And in 2017, there is potential in this room for every single person to bring God closer. And we fast forward a year. We're back in this cold state again. I'm from California. And it's December 2017. And you can ask yourself the question, is God closer to me now than he was last December? And the potential is for every single person in this room to say yes. And that has brought me greater peace joy, and purpose in my life. Not, not perfection. Life isn't perfectly easy. Life, life is, there's, it, there's still problems. There's still pain. I've had death in my family that I've had to grieve over and bawl my eyes out over, but God was with me during that time. It's not perfection and, and a better life financially, relationally, all those things. No, it's that God and you are finally relating the way that you were created to you are now a child of God. In the Old Testament here, David is doing the best that he could. He's bringing the ark of God closer to him. When David sinned and he had his issues, he would pray things like, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now we have a relationship where how do we actually bring God closer? The ark of the covenant is missing. No one knows where it is. In AD 70, when Rome came and burned Jerusalem down, 
They took the Ark of the Covenant. You can see it on the Arch of Titus in Rome. If you go see the Colosseum, you'll see an arch and you'll see these Jewish things. It's celebrating the Emperor Titus destroying Jerusalem and taking the Ark, the menorah. You'll see this thing. It's still there in Rome, taking it away, and then we lost track of it. So does that mean we can't bring the Lord closer until we find it? No, because God made a way. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible says the lamb was slain. You see, we can bring God closer only because God came closer. That's what we just got done celebrating a week ago. It's, it's Christmas, the incarnation that God would come down to us in a humble way in the manger, that God would become forever, not just God, but the God-man, that he would put on humanity so that he could relate to us and then live that perfect life and then be slaughtered for us. Jesus was slaughtered for us. He was murdered. He was beaten. They put a bag over his head so he couldn't even see what direction it was coming from, and they beat him, and he wasn't even able to absorb the blows. They mocked him and put a robe on him and a false crown on him and teased him and spit on him and made fun of him in front of everybody, and yet he was God, but he allowed all that to happen because he was on a path of bringing us closer to God, and the only way to do that We talked about it earlier when Uzzah died, right? How do I get near a God who's so holy? I'm a sinner. I still struggle with this addiction. I still have these wicked thoughts. How could I possibly get closer to the Lord? All of that separation that our sin causes, the wrath of God that is coming against the the sins of the world, the wrath of God that we deserve, the fury of God to be poured out on us was all instead poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. And so now that gap that you feel between you and the Lord, it's been closed because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You see, Jesus came near to us, took the wrath of God away from us for those that would repent of their sins and believe in him. It doesn't say for those that would be perfect. You don't have to be sinless for the rest of your life to be right with God. You have to believe in the sinless one. You have to believe in Jesus Christ who was sinless who took that punishment for us. And if we do that, then Jesus makes us born again and we are now adopted into God's family and now we relate to God, the only God, the only one God. We relate to him as father-son, as father-daughter. That is the relationship you have with God. And so yeah, you sin and God's like, yeah, but you're my kid. We're gonna, we're gonna get past this. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you get past this addiction. I'm going to cover that debt for you that you could never pay. I'm going to take care of you because you're my child. Jesus, our brother, did that for us when he died on the cross. And so in 2017, if your goal is to bring God closer, it's only because Jesus brought God closer by destroying the sin barrier that was between us. That was a big deal. And yet in high school, I remember we act like we're a big deal. We act like the most important thing is that that girl likes me, that that guy likes me, that I'm the best at this sport, that I get the best grades, that I impress this person, that person. We're not a big deal, right? Jesus is a big deal. Now, you have immense value. You are amazingly valuable because look at the price somebody paid for you. Jesus was willing to die for you, but you only assume that that value, that purpose as you believe in Jesus and walk after him. And it'll be a whole messy thing, but you pursue after Jesus, and you will have an amazing 2017. But it came at a cost, and it's in moments like these where for just a few seconds, our notifications aren't buzzing, and the screens aren't in front of our faces, that we can realize, yeah, that sounds true. That sounds true. That sounds like that's right. My my friend brought me here, but that that sounds true. There's a truth to that. It's in these moments that, that, that God is screaming to you that God is yelling at you, that God is showing you his love, that he wants a relationship with you, despite how many times you slap him in the face, despite how many times you say, I hate you. I remember telling my dad that once when he was punishing me, I hate you. He immediately stopped punishing me and started crying and walked away. And that's what we do to God. And we slap him in the face, we yell at him, we say, that no, everything else is more important than you. And yet he continues to love us and to pour into us. And if that's not a relationship that you've experienced, then you're missing out on the most exciting relationship of your life, on the most important relationship, on the only relationship in your life that really matters. I'm married. I've got a great relationship with my wife. 
I'm a father to three kids, a five-year-old girl, a three-year-old boy, and a five-month-old boy. That's a great, those are great relationships that I have, right? I'm friends with Alan Kahn. That's a great relationship that I have. The most important relationship I have that makes everything else in life work is my relationship with God, and it's a relationship that God made for me, and now he's inviting me to pursue him. He's inviting me just to receive that gift. And if you're here tonight and you've been invited or you grew up in church and none of this made sense and you have never repented of your sins, counted the cost that it might mean you lose a couple friends but you gain the body of Christ, right? Counted the cost and recognizing, you know what, I might have to give up some of the things that, you know, are, 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 that the Bible calls sin, but I get Jesus, I get a relationship with God. If you've counted the cost and you say, I want a relationship with God, I want to be a child of God, then, then you can do that. By receiving Jesus. He's done all the work. He's done everything. He's even authored your faith, but he asks you to partner with him. He says, do, do you want me? Do you want a relationship with me? Will you repent of your sins and believe in me that I am God, that I died for your sins, that I rose again three days later, and that I desire a relationship with you? And if you believe in that truth and you reorientate your life towards that truth, then you will be saved. Jesus will save you. And if you've never done that before, then, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. But here's the thing. It's, there's, there's no wrong or right way necessarily to do this. But listen, if you've counted the cost and you want a relationship with Jesus, and if that's supposed to be the most important thing in your life, and King David is getting made fun of by his wife and other people and everything, and he says, no, I will be even more undignified than this, the Bible tells us that if we reject Jesus, then the Father will reject us. It needs to be the most important thing in our life. And so if you want a relationship with Jesus for the first time tonight, would you just stand up right now in front of everyone? Would you just stand up right now as a, as a way of saying, I want a relationship with Jesus so bad that I will stand up in a way that shocks some people, that embarrasses me, that humbles me, but I am standing before God in a way where I'm saying, I want you, God. Is there anyone that feels that kind of a boldness from the Lord right now where you say, you know what, I want Jesus tonight, and so I'm going to stand and express my heart towards him. Praise the Lord.